What's so special about the Fab Four? The four-person ensemble creates a particular screen magic audiences love, especially on TV. There, in the same city where they met as girls, four New York women entered the next phase of their lives. On the surface, shows like Seinfeld, Girls, Sex in the City, The Sex Lives of College Girls, Insecure, and The Good Place may not sound so similar, but they actually have a lot in common, thanks to being based around a group of four. You're, you're a nice guy, but I, I actually only have three friends. I really can't handle anymore. All are known for excelling at what we'll call the three C's, character, conversation, and commentary. Let's unpack these. First, it's no coincidence that four lead shows are the ones that inspire all those quizzes and debates about which character you identify with. The four-person story is the ideal format for investigating personality through contrasting a memorable assortment of character types. Can you please not say ask me while we are eating? Layton, you're so repressed. Table poll, is the phrase ask me repulsive or charming? I don't like it. It's not great. Thank uh, you. Okay, well. Second, these four-person-led shows are known for their conversation, the interesting way they process ideas, often in a long-winded, colorful banter between the foursome. You deserve someone who wants to look in your beautiful face, ladies. What if I want to feel like I have others? This woman doesn't care about what I want. Third, thanks to all this conversing, Fab Four shows are really good at delivering cultural commentary and critiquing social norms of their moment. Thanks, you understand that you can start living your life. Here's our take on what's so special about the number four on screen and the four life paths we're symbolically offered to choose between. Are you a Carrie, a Samantha, a Miranda, or a Charlotte? Who's the Kramer in your group? The Jerry, the Elaine, the George, Susan, Bree, Lynette, or Gabby? The Archie, Veronica, Betty, or Jughead? There's a reason so many of these stories inspire personality quizzes and identity crises. Actually, the four-category personality test or classification system goes back centuries. Think, the four humors or the four elements in the zodiac, the four blood type personalities, and of course, the four seasons. Even in stories that aren't strictly about four main characters, we often still see four central personality types expressed symbolically, like Harry Potter's Gryffindor, Ravenclaw, Hufflepuff, or Slytherin, or the four that get the most focus out of all the houses in Game of Thrones, Targaryen, Baratheon, Stark, and Lannister. What's really interesting, too, is that often these four characters fit a common pattern. The first character type is the narrator's storyteller, or melody. They might be a writer or in the arts, so their creative form becomes a way of expressing the show's deeper style and perspective. But if any invention marks the decline of human civilization, I think it would have to be the snooze alone. This person is the social glue holding the Fab Four together, and their role is to observe and understand the spirit of their times. I couldn't help but wonder, when did being alone become the modern-day equivalent of being a leper? The second character is the image-conscious rule follower. This person is generally too hung up on markers of status or what their life should be like. You frame a lot of things in your life with should. And they reflect their society's prevailing rules and traditional images of success. I thought this would just be a nice opportunity for us to have fun together and, you know, prove to everyone via Instagram that we can still have fun as a group. This is the character the show tends to be most critical of. I have a sixth sense. Cheapness is not a sense. But they're also perhaps the one the show is most interested in because they capture some of the contradictions or challenges at the heart of the show's topic. I have decided that this is the year I'm getting married. Charlotte, that's wonderful. Who's the lucky guy? Well, I don't 
know yet. The third character is the progressive or intellectual one. They think for themselves and have some principles that contradict society's norms. While they're typically composed and professionally successful, every now and then they're riled up into provoking a public confrontation or a scene. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. Even in shows that are a little more on the amoral side, this character pushes for more liberal ideals and sometimes challenges the narrator. How does it happen that four such smart women have nothing to talk about but boyfriends? And finally, the fourth character is the conversation starter. This rule breaker and boundary pusher gives the show its edge, delivers its most memorable moments, and inspires the most conversation about the show, because they probably best embody the story's central argument or question. I will not be judged by you or society. I will wear whatever and blow whomever I want as long as I can breathe and kneel. They have a lot of id, almost the opposite of type 2. They're unconstrained by social rules about what they should act like. You're back on the drink again. Come on. I've been drinking since I was a child. If we want to figure out which of these four buckets we most fit into, sometimes it helps to focus on what each one's major challenge or flaw is. I miss these little perks when I'm down in the bad place. Being forced to wear a knock-off handbag and drink tap water. That's what you think hell is? Classic cinema gave us the four archetypes of Dorothy, the Scarecrow, the Tin Man, and the Cowardly Lion, and defined them all by what each worried was lacking in themselves, a brain, a heart, courage, or a home. More recently, The Good Place explores four characters who arrive in the afterlife, each having failed to realize their potential on Earth because of a particular moral weakness. Chidi's indecisiveness, Jason's impulsiveness, Tahani's need for approval, and Eleanor's selfishness. Do you not remember one single thing about me? Dude, things have been nuts around here. You are too selfish to ever be a good person. The four-person ensemble is the chamber music of storytelling. In string quartets or in a show like Seinfeld, the number four is the sweet spot where it's still intimate enough to hear the individual voices of each instrument, yet four is still a large enough group to offer a variety of voices and feel representative of a greater society. Because of how well you can hear each voice, chamber music often has parts that sound like a musical conversation between the instruments. This can take a few forms. One, a back and forth. Listen to how the strings respond to each other. Two, developing a melody. A solo voice plays the tune, and then the other voices pick it up or call back to it later. Or three, harmony. Multiple voices within the quartet unite in a certain musical agreement. Let's take a look at this type of conversation in action in a scene from Seinfeld. In the contest episode, George introduces a topic. My mother caught me. Caught you? Doing what? You know. The other voices provide a banter of back and forth to develop his story. My mother had a glamour magazine. I started leaving <laughs> Glamour? Yeah. I didn't know whether to try and keep her from falling or zip up. What did you do? I zipped up. And this leads to the development of the episode's melody or theme, as Jerry and George decide to make a bet. I'll tell you this, though. I am never doing that again. Oh, oh give me yeah, a break. right. You think you could? Well, I know I could hold out longer than you. Kramer and Elaine pick up the melody, too. Count me in on this. You? Yeah. You'll be out before we get the check. While the men harmonize in their objections that Elaine has an unfair advantage. I 
This conversational exchange also happens on the episodic plot level. In Seinfeld, the characters' plots usually converge in the end, leading to a final button that hammers home some unifying irony or comeuppance. You're through, Soup Nazi. Sex in the City organizes many episodes around a particular dating question for urban women over 30. But how many men is too many men? Are we simply romantically challenged or are we sluts? And it replies to that question through the four women each experiencing a plot that provides a partial answer. Note, men who have had a lot of sexual partners are not called sluts. They're called very good kissers. Thus, the four voices in harmony add up to a nuanced resolution to the topic. Aiden and I were going to sleep together and it was going to mean something. I was no virgin, but this was definitely virgin territory. Conversation-driven storytelling allows Fab Four stories to center on subjects that are a little more abstract or open-ended than your average show, from single life or young millennial women's post-college years to the frustrations of suburban marriages or the nature of the afterlife. Fab Four shows often feature the four central characters sharing regular meals and unpacking what's going on in each other's lives. We got into it. And he called me inconsistent. What? what? No. Wow. wow, really? Yeah, you dumb bitch. The beauty is that these group chat scenes get to spend time on what more plot-driven stories consider unimportant minutiae. I will never understand the bathrooms in this country. Why is it that the doors on the stalls do not come all the way down to the floor? This captures the realistic way people actually talk and the kinds of things that take up our focus in a day. And it also allows for exploring topics that aren't often covered on TV. Don't be so judgmental. You could use a little back door. I'm not a hoe. Shows from Seinfeld to Girls to Sex in the City were seen as envelope pushing in their time because they often discussed things most shows glossed over. Jessa has HPV. She does? She never told me that. Yeah, like a couple strains of it. She says that all adventurous women do. In Sex Lives of College Girls, the four central roommates offer different perspectives on whether Bella should report an assault by an upperclassman, and the interplay between contrasting points of view adds up to honesty about the complexity of her choice. Yeah, she's right. Reporting it might not be a good idea. Thank really? you. Seriously? Well, hey, I don't like it. Don't listen to her. He needs to pay. Hold on. Maybe as a first step, you could go to another upperclassman at the Catalan and ask them what they think. In The Good Place, the central four characters who meet in the afterlife get to dissect dry topics like moral philosophy, which the vast majority of TV assumes is way over audiences' heads. But the interplay between the four voices makes it lively and relatable. We're talking David Hume today, bundle theory of the self, baby. Sounds like a real banger. All this conversing helps these shows pull off the third C in our list, offering insightful commentary on social norms and etiquette of their day. Seinfeld, famously called a show about nothing, was really about critiquing the customs in society that we frequently don't question but are actually absurd. Unfortunately, we ran out of cars. But the reservation keeps the car here. That's why you have the reservation. And that's really the most important part of the reservation, the holding. And while many of the things these shows pay attention to may seem small, these details can be revealing windows into larger truths. Take this conversation from Season 2, Episode 10 of Sex in the City, when the ladies are discussing Miranda's love interest, Steve, as they banter about whether a relationship can work between a high-earning lawyer like Miranda and a working-class bartender like Steve. What follows is an exchange of multiple dominant points of view about class in the late 90s. This guy is working class. It's the millennium, sweetie. We don't say things like working class anymore. But you're trying to pretend that we live in a classless society. And we don't. 
Meanwhile, this scene is also a perfect illustration of how the four-person conversation illuminates character. Each of the Fab Four is responding to the topic of class by being classically themselves. Charlotte is concerned with social norms and appearances. It's normal for the guy to have more money. Samantha is just focusing on pleasure. How's he in bed? Miranda's critiquing the double standards of how her own success is held against her. When single men have a lot of money, it works to their advantage, but when a single woman has money, it's a problem you have to deal with. And Carrie is chiming in with pithy doses of humor. Okay, Marie Antoinette, we get the picture. Or making it about herself and her own love life. Rich men date not-so-rich women all the time. I mean, come on, look at me in big. What's perhaps most remarkable about a lot of these four persons stories is that they spend their screen time talking about topics that conventional wisdom previously said couldn't work on TV. But the four-person magic proves to us that audiences do want windows into real life, the actual talks we're having, the norms we're brushing up against in daily existence, and the central drives that shape our personalities. Shows that leave space for conversation and character development capture something specific about their times and process social questions with honesty. And there's nothing that makes for better, more satisfying TV. All right, you're on a desert island. You can bring five books. Which five do you take? I got to read five books? <laughs> 2023 is going to be a big year for The Take, and our Patreon subscribers are going to get more perks than ever before. Sign up now so you can get in on all the exciting new content. Watch early releases, vote on what you'd like our next video topic to be, plus more exciting surprises coming soon. Make sure to subscribe to The Take's Patreon by clicking the link in the description below. Your support means the world to us. Happy New Year!